Well, this morning we have a, a joy to uh, be able to hear one of our expositors, seminary students, Mark Ndino, to preach the word for us. I knew, uh, I've known Mark for probably going back 10 years or so now. We met uh, in God's providence in a conference in western Kenya. I didn't realize how uh, fragile uh, the opportunity was. Mark almost didn't come to the conference. He had had such disappointment working with missionaries in the past as he came uh, to realize that what they were exporting from the United States was not helpful for the Kenyan church. He had almost sworn off missionaries, and he told me he went underground. You know, he was trying to hide from missionaries. But someone convinced him to come to this conference, uh, even though he didn't know me or anything about our ministry. And um, then he was, uh, he was recruited literally at the last minute to be my translator. We didn't know one another. We greeted as we walked up to the podium, and um, I started to preach, and Mark started to translate. And then by the time it was done, I think I was just speaking and Mark was preaching. Um, <laughs> but it, w- it was obvious that the Lord uh, was working in his heart and just exciting him. And we sat down for a meal afterward and began to talk about his ministry and how the Lord had used him. Uh, Mark, uh, at that point, had, I think, little other than a MacArthur study Bible, and yet he was preparing expository preaching messages for his people. He'd been doing that for 20 years. Uh, he, he not only preached the Word of God verse by verse uh, to the best of his ability, but he had gone out and planted churches all over western Kenya in a very spiritually dark part of Kenya. This is a place where Churches regularly synchronize their uh, so-called Christian religion with their traditional animistic beliefs. So, so that in, in many churches you have animal sacrifices, abuse of all sorts taking place in the name of Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's a spiritually dark place where Mark comes from. And yet, I was able to meet his people and I was able to meet his uh, church And such a marked difference from the saints who were a part of his church. Even hearing his choir sing was such a blessing. As you heard the theology that they had been taught over the last 20 years coming out in song. So different than anything I had seen in Kenya. The fingerprints of the Lord's work were all over his ministry. I I asked him about his church planting efforts because he planted churches. I, I think it was 20 churches or so all up and down west Western Kenya and over in Uganda. I said, what is your biggest obstacle? I mean, what's the most difficult thing you face in planting churches? He said it was the bus fare. He he had trouble just raising money for bus fare. Mark Mark, uh, comes from a a poor area of Kenya, and, and still Kenyan churches don't support their pastors very much. And so... um you know, I, I said, well, how much is the bus fare? He told me it was basically one or two U.S. dollars. Sometimes he didn't have it. I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, I, I walk. If I don't have the bus fare, I walk. I mean, it might take me three days, but I've got to go plant churches. So this is a precious servant of the Lord, a proven servant of the Lord, not only by the sacrifices and his faithfulness, but by the fruit of his ministry and his church. And it's been a blessing. The Lord opened up the door three and a, a little over three years ago for him to come to the States and study with Expositor, uh, Expositor Seminary 
He's been a student now with us for three years. He's in his final year. Um, he will, uh, Lord willing, be going back to Kenya in uh, the summer of next year. He's already excited about that. We're actually having to hold him back. You know, he's so ready to go preach uh, to his people. But uh, we're privileged to have him and Carolyn, his sweet wife, and his four kids here with us. Most of you know him very well already, and it's already been a blessing to be able to see his testimony and the testimony of his family here among us. And, and we're blessed this morning to be able to have him come and preach the Word of God to us. So, Mark, would you please uh, come? Now, good morning. I'm very much excited. Thank you very much for that introduction. I thought that maybe not say that because I was hiding, and now, today, I'm here. I'm very much delighted to stand before you this morning, actually, to share what God has put on my hand. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. This is the day that he has made. We need to rejoice and be glad in it. It is my joy and privilege to stand before you this morning that God has given me this chance to share what he has laid on my heart. It is not a right, it's a privilege. I call it a privilege. And some of you, most of the time, you cherish birthdays when you are born, And when it comes to celebrating your birthday, it becomes everything. Me as a pastor today, it's my birthday because I'm preaching for the first time in this church. So to me, I'm very much excited. This morning, we are going to look at a passage in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 7, through Verse 10, as you are turning there, let me ask you a question. Does it even bother you when you turn on your television, you switch on your radios, or maybe you go to the internet? Does it bother you when you see all kinds of evils, hatred, murder, Envy, jealousy, growing day after day and minute after minute. Does it actually bother you? There is a big growth or a big and a huge growing rate of of hatred, discrimination, enmity, murder, envy, and all kinds of evil going around out there. But the question is, does it bother you? Some of, some of us come from a place whereby sometimes you look at things, how they're happening, then you wonder how other people are existing outside there. It reminds me, the year 2007, in my country, Kenya, This is a time whereby the love of God, the beast among us as people, went out through the door and hatred came into my people, 
the Kenyans. The Kenyans actually turned to each other. They could kill. They could hate. They could discriminate. And something which happened meant us actually not even to think as if we are living on the world where uh, man or where mankind can even ponder to see that you are his neighbor or her neighbor. In this year, as I've said, Kenyans hated each other, discriminated one another, passing on political divides. Even up to this point, as I speak before you, some of the parts in our country, they have not healed from these wounds of discrimination and hatred. People are still crying. Then, even the church at that time, it could not care. When a person could run into the church for refugee, then those enemies could fall up those people in the church, and they could pan that church to ashes. I remember one of the church in Elred Down. When people ran into that church, there were 250. And those enemies came by cars or patrol and then burned that building to ashes. So 250 people who were inside that building died. Not only that, the big cities like Nairobi, Mombasa, Nakuru, it was very hard for one to go out because you did not know what you are going to meet outside there. At the same time, stores were closed. So a person going, wanting actually to buy food in the store, it was hard. People could run. I remember other people running into the military camps for safety. And others were running to their people group for safety. And those who could not do that, they were killed. I remember one day, during that period, my sister lives far away from our home near Uganda. And my dad came to me and asked, what are we going to do to your sister who lives away from this home and we see that where he, she is right now, there's a rupture. People are killing each other. What are you going to do? And then I asked my dad, what do you want me to do? He asked me, can you boldly go? And I asked him, dad, people, they are killing people. How can I do that? And then said, take heart, you go. I've chosen you. I remember going out without knowing where I'm going. Although I know where my sister lived, but I don't know whether I will locate her in that spot. But I went. That was a very bad moment on my side. But I navigated through those hardships till I entered her house. And then she, she screamed and said, how did you make it here? 
and said, Dad told me to come and pick you. And she told me, how are you going to manage? Because we are hiding. I told her, we need to go. And then she asked, in which way? I said, I don't know, but we need to go. Then very early in the morning, I woke her up. Let's go. I remember walking like over 30 miles to our home because you could not get a bus. And at 7, let me say 1 a.m., I arrived at home. And my dad was awake. He said, have you brought her? I said, yes. Then he said, go and sleep. We'll talk tomorrow. And when the morning came, my dad just told me, you are courageous. Just going up to where your sister was living and coming back with her, you are courageous. I remember also the church, Kamkuya Baptist Church, which we were pastoring by then, which I was pastoring by then. Most of the refugees came in that church. And instead of them being killed, we showed our hospitality to them. And then we welcomed them, we gave them food. And up to this time, some of them are still church members. So what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say, when love goes out, when peace goes out and hatred comes in, everything's bad. Everything's bad. Like what happened to my people in Kenya. It was mess, and you could not even imagine what is going to come next. But remember, we are all created in the image and likeness of God. And instead of laughing one another and embracing one another, something which is propping in the life of mankind is enemy, hatred, murder, and discrimination. We discriminate one another, realizing that we were created in the image of God. Our relationships should be built on a chain called love. That's love that comes from inside us. Love that is genuine. Love that is true. Love that you can count on. As we walk through this passage this morning, First John chapter 4, verse 7 through 10, as we walk through this passage, you realize that love is a component which holds us as, as children of God or which identifies us as we go outside there as children of God. Love is a component that identifies you whether you are a true follower of Jesus Christ or not. As I've said in my story, those people who ran the church in Kenya, they were killed. And I don't know how you feel about that when it comes to a point of a church and killing people inside that building. It's bad. Now, as we turn to this book, First John, the major theme in this book revolves around fellowship. And if I can give you the quick outline of this book, I may say this, introduction is verse, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. It is an introduction to that book. And when you read chapter 1, verse 5 
to chapter 2, verse 14, it is a condition of fellowship. Chapter 2, verse 15, through verse 27, it is a caution to fellowship. And chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 5, verse 3, it is a characteristic of fellowship. And then finally, chapter 5, verse 4, through 21, it is the consequences of fellowship. Apostle John wrote this book in the first century at his old age, maybe in the 1890s. John was one of the 12 apostles who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then the book of Revelation. He was one of the inner circles during the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's one of the, the disciples whom Jesus Christ referred to as the, the beloved or loved one. This letter was general in its address. He, he did not just maybe wrote it to a particular church, but it was a general letter whereby it could be read in all those churches surrounding where he was or where he wrote to. This, uh, he was writing, actually, to address the false teachers. Probably these were the Gnostics. These false teachers denied the deity of Jesus Christ. They say that Jesus Christ did not come in flesh. They told that Christ did not come in flesh because all matter, according to them, is evil. So they were confusing churches by false doctrine, which made John to write this letter so as to correct those heresies that were going around. John had already been discussing about this uh, subject of love. When you read chapter 2, verse 7 through verse 11, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The only commandment is the word that you have had. At the same time, it is new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Notice verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Notice also chapter 3, verse 11 to 18. He's still addressing the topic of love. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that... We should not be like kind, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his, because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Notice verse 16. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deeds and in truth. John had been discussing about this topic, chapter 2 and in chapter 3. And again in, chapter, in this chapter, chapter 4, John is still coming back to the subject of love, expanding, explaining, and developing it in a deeper sense. The question is, why is he coming back again to this same, same subject of love? He's doing so because he realized that love is an important uh, component within the believers. He wants them to get it right. He wants them to understand because that is the one which will glue them together as a people of God. He wanted them actually to grasp that importance and he wanted to repeat it over and over, over and over so they can get it right. John's point is this, that love is available to all men around the world. That's God's love and love originates from God, from God then we have a reason to love others the same way God loves them. Persistently, he's telling the recipients that this love which I'm telling you originates from God. Therefore, if it originates from God, then you have, you have every reason to love because God has given it to you. Now, as we go through uh, this passage as we read through this passage, you can see that he's just addressing uh, the Christians. And in this passage, John gives us three evidences of why Christians love. Three evidences of why Christians love. Number one, the Christian love because of the nature of God. Verse seven, let's read it. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The nature of God, verse 7. As God's children, we have inherited his nature of love, and our life should always be characterized by love when we go out. It does not mean that only in your family. But even if we are outside in any institution, be it in the school, be it in the church, be it at the workplaces, be it maybe in our family setup, then because we are Christian, therefore those institutions should be characterized by love because God has given that love to you. And he wants you to carry it on. We love others because by grace God has given us that love. We are but only vessels whereby love should go through so that it can affect other people outside there positively for the glory of God. Love should be our habitual practice 
day after day. Why? Because we are born of God and have the very nature of God. It should be our habit as we go out, as we interact with the people. It should be our habit because we are born of God and we have the very nature of God. Therefore, we need to realize that every, everywhere we go, we have that nature of God in us, and people should actually see us portraying that picture, and they will also glorify God because of what we are doing outside there. We are all created in the image of God. And because we are all created in the image of God, each one of us has a capacity to love out of a common grace. You have a capacity to love because you have been created in the image of God. I remember my seminary professor, Dr. Simic. He said this when it comes to image of God in a man. He said this. Remember that traditionally God's image in a man has been identified centrally in terms of man's rational and moral abilities. Consequently, this is the basis for relationship and communication. Now, if that is the case of which it is, then you, as a person, who have the character, the nature of God in you, then you have the ability to love other people because in you, God has actually imbued this love and he wants you to carry it out. However, it is not true that when you love all kinds of people, maybe the sick, maybe the orphans, maybe those people who are hungry, it is not true that when you do that, then you are a Christian. No. Or when you do that, then it means that you are saved. No. When we go back to the text, the text says, everyone who loves is born of God. Thus, everyone who has true love to Christians as such, or a true brother love, is a Christian. You can have natural affection Towards people, as stated above, but you may be still not a Christian. You may just have affection towards people, but that does not qualify you to be a Christian. Loving all does not equal to the perfect love of God that saves. Here, John is referring to a particular kind of love that is only found in Christians. He's not generalizing this type of love, but he's particularly projecting to a kind of love that is only found in Christians. And that's why he's persistently telling his recipient that they should do that, because in them they have the nature of God. Here John is referring to a particular kind of love that is found only in, uh, in believers. He is not speaking about eros. Neither is he speaking about phileo. But here John is speaking about the acape love. The saving love of God. Love that made Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross because of your sins. 
This is what John is trying to, to speak about. When you go back to the text again, you can see he's saying born and knows God. When he's saying born and knows God, the word born here is a perfect tense, which will include the initial rebirth of the present tense of know. You have been born, then you need to know. So when he's saying you need to know, he is emphasizing a personal spiritual growth. Continue to grow in the knowledge of God. Why should they be aware? And why should they be made aware of this love? In the first place, because they did nothing so as to be Christian. They did not do anything before God so that God created them to be Christian. Neither in the first place did they even choose to love God. But God, out of his own grace and mercy, reached down and saved them. And that's why John is telling them, you are born and you need to know. You need to grow in this knowledge. Because if you are aware and you are not growing, then there's a problem. You are not going to laugh the way I want you to laugh. In other words, God just saved us out of his grace and mercy. We did not do anything so as to be born again. When you read Romans 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have power. You don't have the ability to love. And that love which John is trying to ask them, it is not their love. It's not, it not originate from them. This is God's love. God is the source. And that's why, because they have it, John has a right to ask them to love others the way he has loved them. You don't have their powers to love. You don't have the ability to love unless God has granted that to you. And that's exactly what John is trying to tell his recipient. He's trying to, to tell them you don't have that. Then for you to love means that Christ has granted it to you or it has given it to you so as to love. So you have just given freely, so freely also. Love others. We do not possess this love only for the eternal inheritance. We do not possess only this love only because of the future inheritance. But we possess this love presently so that we can walk in it and so that we can depend on him. Because minus this love, we cannot pray. Minus this love, we cannot ask. So this love in us makes us to depend on him in our tail walk. And that's exactly what he's telling them. You have it. And therefore you, you, you not only have it because of a future inheritance in heaven, but even right now you have it so that you can depend on him. He gave it to you. And that's the implication. That we need actually to love because we have that love in us, not only because of what we are going to inherit in heaven, but also 
as we navigate through the issues here and there, we need to learn that we have this love in us. Therefore, it should actually propel us to, de- to depend on him in everything we do. But my question to you this morning, do you love others the way God loves them? Or you are still struggling to love them? Don't be like my Kenyan guys who hated each other, discriminated each other, and instead they went ahead killing one another simply because of politics which erupted in our country. You should love because you possess the love that comes from God. And now you know him. But if you do not love, then you do not have the spiritual relationship with God and the wrath of God is upon you. The wrath of God is upon you. We not only love because of the nature of God, but secondly, we love because of the knowledge of God. Look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 8. Because we have the knowledge of God. John turns from the positive expression of truth to the negative expression of the same truth. You may be saying that you are born again. You may be saying that you are Christian. Yes. I cannot say no. I may say yes. But until we see or you see the portrait of God's love manifesting within you, then you will have proven to be cheating yourself. If you have no true love reigning in your heart, you cannot pretend to be laughing like him. Why? Because you cannot give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. If a person asks you to give him one dollar and you don't have, you will not give. But if he asks you one dollar and you have five dollars, you will give because you have. You cannot love others if you don't have love in you. It can't work. You cannot give what you don't have. And that's why Peter is telling them, he's telling the recipient that you have it. I know you have it. Then you need to do it. You need to love others. Those who don't love don't know God. In other words, the absence of love in a believer's life proves that he doesn't know God. He may be talking about God, but he doesn't know him. For example, missionaries sometimes they tend to speak about Africa, and they say that all unreached people group in Africa it is because the Bible has not been written in their native language. They, they, then they are dumped as unreached people group. They normally assume that if a Bible has, not been, has never been translated in your native language, or if you have never read your, uh, the Bible in your native language, then they group us together to say we are unreached people group. But that's not true. 
I come from a people group where they normally say we are unreached. But let me tell you something. I prefer reading the Bible in English or Swahili than in my native language because my native language is very hard to understand. So, here I am. I can read English. Why should I struggle with my native language which I cannot even understand? Why? But I can read English and understand. Why should I go back and struggle with that? So that's not true. And that is the same thing which John is trying to say here. That whoever lacks God's love is a stranger. And he or she does not have a personal relationship with God. Then he doesn't know God and he doesn't understand God. John is saying that to know God is to manifest his love. And vice versa is true. If you don't have the love of God, you cannot know God. And if you know God, then you have his love. Godliness and the true nature of his love in us is the true testimony that actually we are born again. Godliness and his nature in us is a testimony that actually we are born again. God is the real ultimate and the source of love. When you read the love chapter, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can come to understand what Paul is trying to say when it comes to love in that chapter. We should not only love because, number one, the nature of God, that is verse 7, we should not only love because Number two, the knowledge of God, that is verse eight. But thirdly, we should love because of the initiative of God. We should love because of the initiative of God. That is verse nine through verse 10. Look with me in verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, verse, verse 9 is just trying to say we live through Christ. We live through Christ. So Christians should love because according to God's sacrificial love, he sent his only begotten son. And that's why John 3.16 makes a, a, a very... Big, big difference when you read the Bible. It drives at home. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the key. That is the key whereby we are saying we, we, live, because, we live through Christ. Christ is our life. And because Christ is our life, then it is the initiative of God that he sent him so that we may live. Christ was charged on our behalf on the cross by God because of our sins. When you read 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, For our sake he made him to be seen who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. God poured his wrath 
on his behalf because of our sin. When you, uh, we read this, but I can just repeat, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in, in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We live in Christ. If Christ could have not come, we will be still in death spiritually. So Christ is our life because he was sent to come. The sentence structure, the sentence structure of chapter of verse 9 stresses the nature and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. The word only in the Bible occurs nine times in New Testament. For example, in Luke chapter 7 verse 12, as he drew near to the cat of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son. Now, only John uses this term translated one and only to refer to Jesus Christ as the only son of God. Here, John is emphasizing the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He's emphasizing that Jesus Christ is unique. And because Jesus Christ is unique, then God sent his only son, who is Jesus Christ, on a mission with a purpose. He sent him on a mission with a purpose. The mission and the purpose was that he made, through him, we may live. That's the mission and the purpose. We may live through him. The perfect tense, when you read, send, emphasizes the permanent consequences of this act. That we were dead in sin. And then, when you read the verb, live, implies that those whom the son was sent to were in the condition of spiritual death, and the, his mission was to impart that life, which was at the Father, in them. Because they have received him. I don't want to read, but during your free time, you may read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. It will spell out of how we were dead in sin. But when you come to uh, verse 4, there are only two words, but God. God made a difference. We were dead, but God. What did he do? He imputed that life which was at the Father, and the Father sent that life here on the Son. He imputed that life in us. We were dead, and then we are alive because of those two words. But God, he did something. God did something. When you read chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, the life was made manifest, 
And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What does he mean here? John means that we could be still in the condition of death if God had not sent his son. Who was or who is our life? We could be still in that condition of death. But we praise God because he sent the life to us. We praise him for that. Christ came so that we may live through him. But many are still dead spiritually because they have not invited him in their life as personal savior. They are still struggling. They are still in spiritual death because they have not invited the life in their life. This life occurs only through him. Since he is the true and only mediating agent between God and man, Jesus Christ is the only one who preaches us from the world to God. He is the only preach. We don't have any other one. You may name them. You may name them, based on different religions. religions. Like Islam, they have theirs. But the Bible spells out that we have only one, and this is Jesus Christ. Through him, we have life. Christ is the only one the Father sent into the world as the greatest gift to mankind. When you read John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, we live because of Christ. And if we don't have Christ in our lives, then we are still in death. Sometimes I normally say, have you ever met, be walking, and then you meet with a dead body walking? You may be scared and run away. But mostly we normally meet them. Because if a person does not have Christ, then he's what? Dead spiritually. You are, you are a moving dead. You move, but you are dead. Now, look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 10 is just simply saying this, that Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. The purpose of sending his son is not in incarnation, but the purpose of sending his son was atonement, the cross. Christ's death was a substitute for, the, for our death. He made payment for what otherwise will have condemned us to death in hell. But Jesus Christ came. He's our sacrifice. The purpose of sending his son is not, as I've said, incarnation, but so that he may go to the cross and imbue that life in us. 
So Jesus Christ came so that you may have that life. Christ's death was a substitute for death. He made payment, otherwise you and me would go to hell. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross satisfied the demand of God's holiness for the punishment of our sin. God was satisfied for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Christ literally became or becomes like our must sit in the Holy of Holies during the time of Tabernacle in the Old Testament. How was it working in the Old Testament? The blood the blood during the Old Testament could be taken and actually be sprinkled on a mercy seat so as to reconcile or so as those people who were sinners to be accepted by God. And when we come to the New Testament, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was spilled and sprinkled on behalf of sinners by the act of the cross. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ satisfied the whole demand of God. Of course, wrath against sin. Thus, God, the Father, was satisfied. That is why every time that we could sing amazing grace. This is amazing grace. It's amazing. How can you say that I'm satisfied to what you have done, and what he has done is death on the cross, and God is satisfied? It's amazing. He took your sins on the cross. He died on your behalf. Otherwise, you are the person expected to die on the cross. But Jesus said, no, I'm here. So he came and offered himself on the cross. And that's why it becomes amazing grace. Love is always demonstrated by action. Love is never self-satisfied or stationary. Love moves so that it can affect other people. John had already given the purpose for, for this demonstration of love. When you go back to chapter 3, verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. The purpose of his, uh, him coming, to take away sins. Number 2, chapter 3, verse 8. I'm just still in First John, chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. So he came to take away sin and to destroy the work of the devil. How did God show his love? Verse 9 and 10 shows us this love is beyond human initiative. If left to ourselves, mankind will never come closer to God. Every time we repel, every time we hate God, every time we go away from God. Because by nature, man is sinful. I love this quote from John MacArthur. In his book, Biblical Doctrines, he says this, However, man, in his depravity, will always fundamentally repel against God's word as the truth 
expressing God's right to exercise absolute authority over him. Always we rebel. Always we rebel until God himself does something. Because <laughs> you heard that my dad passed on when I was here. But before he passed on, every time I could go and visit him, we could wake up, we could raise up from his seat and then say, Welcome, my son. And then he goes back to sit again, and we could talk, we could talk, we could talk. But when he passed on, and I went, I could not experience that. Because he was nowhere. He was dead. And because of that, because of spiritual depravity of man, every time we will never come closer to God, every time we would go away, we would want to rebel. And we cannot support ourselves unless something happens. And that something which happens is God himself to ignite you back to life. God himself. That's exactly what John is trying to say here. I want to ask you this question. How is your love like towards your God and others? How do you love them? Or you are still struggling? What is the best way to show love? Okay, let's go back to the First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. I don't want to read the whole of it, but I want just to read from verse 4 to verse 8. First Corinthians 13, the way we can show love or the way we can understand love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or oppose. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentive. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is the best way, the beautiful way we can exercise love as we are still living on this face of the globe before God calls us home. We need actually to exercise the way this Bible or these verses are trying to tell us this morning. Let us not grow into hatred, hating each other, jealousness, discrimination, as my people did in Kenya because of political divides. But let us embrace one another because we are born again and we have this love in us. Let us embrace one another and as we go out, let people actually feel it, that actually we are born again. We are Christians. We are not photocopy. We are original Christians because we have believed in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ has saved us. And because he has saved us, he has imbued his love in us. We, whereby we should actually propagate that love and touch other people positively for his own glory. Let's pray together. Our God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, full of grace and mercy, we come before you this morning with the longing hearts, with a desire of wanting to know you and understand you more and more in our hearts. Thank you, Father, for saving us from our sins by your own grace and mercy. I ask you, Father, that if there is one among us who doesn't know you, that he may come to know you. Please, Father, 
Call him or call her to yourself by your power and save him. Also help us grow in our spiritual walk in love by embracing each other as your children. Let no hatred or discrimination be among us. Lead all the saints to live in truth and justice day after day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.